Welcome to Fatal Flaw. I'm Molly. And I'm Maddie. A couple of disclaimers before we start. There will be spoilers for Percy Jackson and the Olympians and Heroes of Olympus. There will be adult language and adult topics, so proceed with caution. Mom, please don't listen to this. Welcome back to another episode of Fatal Flaw. It has been a hot minute since we've been with you guys. Uh, Our apologies. It's been a second. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry about that. But I think we have a really good episode. No, no, no. We don't (laughs) need to apologize for taking time for our mental health. This podcast is for fun. We are doing this for fun this is an excuse to talk to our friends about Percy Jackson we do not need to break our backs to get an episode out every week and we probably can you're right you are the only source of entertainment I have week to week and the fact that you've gone this long without recording has left me in the worst (laughs) I know we say uh, we took time for our mental health but my mental health has not improved at all since (laughs) we've taken a break we just got more used to what our mental health is like right now. <laughs> we got bored enough and wanted to chat with Milo, so that's <laughs> the what only happened. reason that's we're doing you know an episode. Your mental health has just really gone downhill. Is when I get. I appreciate that after weeks of you guys having like really interesting and like insightful, thoughtful guests, you you finally decide, hey, you know who we need on the podcast? A straight white man to give his opinion on things. <laughs> okay, like, Milo. <laughs> Milo, I'm going to need you to be a little bit nicer about yourself because there is a lot of pressure on my shoulders for this episode because you are the first <laughs> guest that I have gotten. <laughs> so all of the previous guests have been uh, Molly's guests, really. Like, she's the one that set it up. She's the one that got them to come on the podcast. And this <laughs> this is my guest. So <laughs> lower your expectations. And Milo, please, please be nicer to yourself on this. Okay. I am, I am really looking forward to our first and last straight white man as a guest. You know, yeah. I figured we're going to set the bar real low and just never get over it. <laughs> well, we're actually, I'm very, very excited to have you on. I've been really well, looking forward to this. Okay, well, now that we're here, can I start by airing uh, some grievances? Oh, okay. <laughs> he just, straight <laughs> white man, comes on the podcast, and the first <laughs> thing he does is criticize it. That is true. <laughs> I do I want to point out, uh, intrigued. I am not the only listener in my family. Uh, my sister has also been a guest, and as has maybe, I believe, been discussed, uh, my, our mother has been a longtime <laughs> listener of the podcast. Um, and the first thing I hear from her when I come home today is, you can thank Maddie and Molly for teaching me something, because I oh, had God. to look up what pegging was. <laughs> <laughs> So, first of all... That was not me! That was not me, Joyce! Joyce, listen to me! I need an explanation. I am so sorry. (laughs) Joyce, 
We love you so much. We're we want you to come on our podcast, but we don't have to talk about pegging. <laughs> this is the most horrified I've ever been. <laughs> there are tears in my eyes. <laughs> okay, let's let's get down to the nitty gritty. Milo, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um. Well, my name is Milo. I am a history graduate from the University of Missouri State, um, and I have been brought on today to talk a little bit about uh, some historical context for Percy Jackson. Um, There was a great amount of time spent debating over uh, which Olympian god house I would be in. My sister kept yelling at me that she thought I was an Athena. However, given that I am also an alcoholic and a disappointment to my parents, I identify way more with Dionysus' cabin. Um, Yes! (laughs) So, uh, yeah. When I reread, I'm going to start picturing Dionysus as you. I've got the beer gut for it, so, you know, (laughs) in your dream recasting of the musical, uh, Milo Brucker as Dionysus. I'm just selling it right now. Huh. I love it. When the community theater it. does it, yes. it'll yes. be cast as <laughs> Dionysus. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So how did you get into the Percy Jackson series, Milo? Um, Other than Fatal Flaw. Th- that's true. Uh, Fatal Flaw has actually been my introduction to most forms of high culture and literature. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it, like most other people in our demographic, I started reading them around middle school or so. And uh, yeah, I just sort of fell headfirst into it. Um, got my first copy in sixth grade, read that front to back uh, to the point where it fell apart. And uh, yeah, just I read all of them or I read all of the main Percy Jackson series, and I did admittedly fall off a little bit um, with uh, the Camp Jupiter stuff, probably around the first, second book with high school. But I've been going back, getting back into it. No, can I say something a little bit off topic? I had like this weird, it's not off topic, but I had this weird like memory the other day. Like I was like chilling on my couch And I was like, wait, is this something that happened to me? I had a memory of me being at Borders and I had like just finished the Percy Jackson series. And I guess, so I guess I was in like eighth grade whenever, whenever the series finished and it was like right after. And I was like at Borders because that's where my mom took us because we couldn't afford to do anything else. So she just was like run wild and go to Borders. And I was at Borders and I saw that there was like a Rick Riordan like table or whatever and I think I looked at the lost hero and I read the back of it and I was like oh he wrote another series but it doesn't have Percy Jackson in it so I'm not interested in it and I think I just like (laughs) I think that's when I was like whatever I didn't know that Percy was gonna show up because that was the only book out so (laughs) no one knew (laughs) that Percy was gonna show up again and I was like remembering it and I was like, oh my God, I like actively chose not to read the next series. Okay, you just like unlocked that memory. I did. I was like, I was like on the couch and I was like, oh my God. 
much. It was like in uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, like unlocking those memories. Okay, let's move on. Anyone get that reference? Probably not. No, not me. Um, I'm sorry. We all have hobbies here, Maddie. Thank you very much. Um. (laughs) I I don't think that's true. So, Maddie, what's the topic for today? Okay, so uh, today's topic, uh, we're going to talk about the actual Greek and Roman empires and how they compare to Camp Half-Blood, Camp Jupiter, um, how they're represented in the books, um, stuff like that. And um, a really funny thing about this podcast episode today is that I thought of this podcast episode idea. I was super, super excited about it. I asked Milo to be on the podcast because he's my most qualified friend to be on this episode. Um, I was so excited about it. I was at work. I was like, I'm going to start researching the Greek and Roman empires. I'm going to learn about them because I'm so excited for this. I have not researched anything about the Greek and Roman empires uh, this week. I <laughs> I started to, <laughs> I started to, there's actually um, a Google doc uh, that I started. Uh, it has about 20 words on it. I was so excited. And then I was like, it was last night. It was Friday night. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I opened up the Wikipedia page for the Roman empire and I literally fell asleep. Um, I was so bored. (laughs) (laughs) So I am so glad that Milo is here (laughs) to give us a little bit of context for the Greek and Roman empires. Yes, please. I don't want to research. You know, I'm just glad that I finally get to put a degree in history to use in something. So, you know, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> All right. Do you want to hear the most stressfully open-ended question ever? Absolutely. So, Milo, tell us yes. about the Greek and Roman empires. Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, and go. So, when talking about uh, Greece and Rome and really for the purposes of the discussion today, sort of like Hellenic civilizations as a whole. Um, We can really break it down into, yes. I'm raising my hand. Um, What does that mean? What is the difference between Hellenic (laughs) civilizations and Greece? I don't get it. All right. Um, We'll start the turn... (laughs) Okay, question number one is a little more specific. Um, or question number two is a little more specific than question number one. Um, what is Greece? <laughs> so, um, Greece is a actually a modern term for to refer to the country and the region around the Aegean Sea. Uh, the classical term for it is uh, Hellas. Um, and in fact, Greece is not the official name of uh, the country. Um, but it's the term everyone uses, and it's the term that most modern Greeks would refer to themselves by. Um, so, Mamma Mia lied to me? That's yes. not the country's name? <laughs> what? Okay, uh, Milo, I am so glad we have you on. Please, please e- expand. Just just keep talking. Actually, okay. this episode is going to be a monologue. It's just going <laughs> to be Milo. Maddie and I might chime in once in a while to be like, Hold on, wait a second. I don't know what that word means. So if um, if you're not interested in 
history at all, you can just skip forward probably about 10 minutes and uh, continue uh, on your way. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to oh, Milo said clear your calendars today. It's, it's Greek and Roman time. The 30-minute mark is when we start talking about Mamma Mia. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted, Milo. Go ahead. Yeah, so officially the name for Greece is the Hellenic Republic, at least in actual Greek, which uh, I do not speak. Um, but Hellas is the traditional term used, and uh, Hellenic culture and religion is what's usually used to refer to sort of ancient Greek and to a lesser extent ancient Roman religious beliefs and cultural uh beliefs and practices as well. There's a great deal of differences that occur between them, and that obviously sp spans a very wide range of time and locations, but that's the very broad term we use. Um, now, for the earliest stages, uh, for the roots, really, of... Um, any sort of modern Hellenic uh, civilization, you would go back to a sort of pre-Mycenaean era, which uh, that would have been... Uh, <laughs> Reverse! <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? what was that word you just used? Uh, Mycenaean. Mike and Ike. Actually, Milo, it's called Mike and Ike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mike and Ann is a term used to refer to sort of Bronze Age Greek civilization. It did not write in uh, ancient Greek. It wrote in um, a script that is referred to as Linear B. And it was largely centered on the island of Crete. I actually know about Linear B. We study it in linguistics. There you go. See, we're getting there. Um. <laughs> Milo's the disgruntled history teacher. Like, <laughs> all these high schoolers are like, why do we need to know this? And Milo's like, just shut the fuck up and listen, you nasty kids. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> Milo also has a beard and his hair is all like messed up right now so that just for some context you guys yeah i want everyone to know that we need to finish this up soon i've got an ancient aliens interview i gotta be on in like 30 minutes <laughs> um all right so we've got uh this group mike and Anne greece um which is participating in the ancient bronze age world um they are comprised somewhat of these proto-Indo-European people who have sort of slowly come through into uh, into the Greek mainland. And this is a civilization that's doing trading with ancient Egypt, the Hittites, the Syrians, Sumerians, uh, the people of Mes classical Mesopotamia. Um, and then eventually you have uh, what's referred to as the Bronze Age Collapse, which is the first time where all these ancient civilizations really just sort of crumble all at once. Um, of them, Egypt is really the only one who comes out even remotely okay. Ancient, ancient Mycenaean Greece, 
collapses and we lose uh, written language um, in the region for about a few hundred years. Yikes. Yes, and that's why um, when we eventually do get uh, or slowly get the return of written languages, it's when we're finally getting written accounts of these oral histories and legends by stuff like uh, Homer and Sir terms of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah, I was just I was just later. about to ask about that if that was like what like this period. So so yeah. the so like the Odyssey and the Iliad are taking place in this like post Mycenaean I don't think I even pronounced that right. Um period. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's in this sort of um it's roughly in there. It's that uh, Homer, I think, is believed to have composed it around 800 BC. Um, and Mycenae in Greece existed about four or five hundred years before that. Oh, shit. <laughs> start and then it collapsed. And then you don't have then you have Homer around 800 shortly after the fall and then. Eventually, you get this return of the written language uh, in Greece with this new Phoenician script circa, I want to say about 600. I, I want preference. My uh, field of study was in African and Middle Eastern history, so I am mostly just flying off the handle and improv this <laughs> as far as historical subject goes. And all of this deserves heavy citation that I am not going to be providing because uh, – they didn't pay me enough to guest star on this. <laughs> episode. So. We paid you in our undying love and affection, which yes. is more than you get at your real job. So it, that's true. Um, yeah. So you've got this. So after um, we've got this sort of major cultural shift um, between this older Mycenaean greek uh religion and pantheon and civilization in which most of the gods and goddesses and their roles are pretty significantly different in there versus what they eventually shift into um for instance in mycenae greece zeus is not usually believed to have been a head god or even a really important god that rule would have fell to poseidon Ooh. Drama! Uh, we don't actually have written records of gods like Hades before classical Greek. Um, and Ooh. it's believed that they those gods might have been imported in at later dates, or it might just have been a cultural thing where sort of how you're not supposed to pray to it because having the name invites it. And it's the belief that you just don't talk about gods of death to not invite gods of death, stuff like that. So it's hard uh, to tell where that, where the line is. But a yeah. lot of these gods shift and change, and some get imported and um, are radically altered until we get into about, we're going to say about 500 BC. And that is the point where we have a classical greek pantheon that resembles what is depicted in 
Percy Jackson and the Olympians, at least to a rough extent. Things change, and there's different interpretations of worship and stuff like that, depending on where you are in the Greek world. Uh, for instance, Aphrodite in Sparta is worshipped as a war goddess, in part. Um, and you have lots of gods who have... Obviously, Athena has a bit different uh, place of worship in Athens versus in other parts. Uh, so you have a pretty wide group of Greek-speaking cities and civilizations around the Aegean Sea right now. Um, and they slowly begin spreading out. You've got colonies that get set up. Uh, along the coast of the Black Sea to the north of Anatolia and also along the Crimea and uh, the west or the easter edges. Um, and then you've got Greek settlers who go as far west as the coast of modern-day France. Uh, the city of Marseille was once a Greek colony. They're interacting with these Greek and... or these Greek settlers are interacting with these Phoenician settlers who, from the coastline of Leb modern-day Lebanon and Syria, and then also North Africa and Carthage, um, they're sort of inter intersecting, and you get more changes as there's this wider spread. And eventually, you've got a significant Greek population in Italy. Um and there's not the histor or the classical telling is that Rome is obviously founded by Aeneas as a settlement by former um, as the descendants of those who fled Troy when hmm. it fell. Um, and Wait, I thought Rome was founded by. Romulus, Romulus who was raised by wolves. <laughs> like Jason. Descended, descendants of Aeneas. Sorry. It's oh. been a long time. I want to point out, I got a C in college Latin, so uh, all of this is... Then why are you here, Milo? That, it's been great being here. I'm sorry, your actual guest will be here momentarily. <laughs> so, So that's kind of where the Greek Roman thing comes in is Rome is descended from Greece, but becomes its own thing. Maybe, maybe not descended from Greece, but there, the people who, influence. okay, gotcha. Um, honestly, the best way to put, cause there's traditional Italian religious beliefs, uh, which from what we understand are a lot more, spiritual and tribe and like it's a lot of worship of like small nature deities and stuff like that As and then through um the spread of hellenic religion through people who are settling along what's monday sicily and naples and the southern parts of italy all these greek colonists are bringing uh their religion and their pantheon along with them and that is slowly being adopted and integrated into uh this burgeoning roman civilization mm. um 
at the same time, there's this other little important thing that goes on um, in Greece proper. Uh, this dude named Alexander comes in and uh, makes everything way worse. Uh, <laughs> Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, dirty, rotten Greek empire. Empire. (laughs) Um, Alexander comes in um, and uh, he goes and invades the Persian Empire. And in the void that and at this point, the Persian Empire is the largest empire for most of the broader known world um and it stretches from the aegean sea to the indus uh it controls egypt up into uh the steppes of russia basically um this vast multicultural pretty uh, egalitarian empire gets conquered by the greeks and immediately things go bad um so I'm gathering that Alexander was a massive douchebag. A hundred percent, yes. Okay, okay, um, I'm good. On Got his it. deathbed, Alexander famously, he dies young. Um, he doesn't have an, well, he does have an heir who will talk about what happens to him momentarily. Um, but Alexander says on his deathbed, when all his generals ask who inherits uh, this empire that he's conquered, uh he famously says it goes to the strongest and then dies. And <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to say on my deathbed. <laughs> uh, that kind of reminds me of like, okay, I, I don't drink very often, but it reminds me of when you're like, no, I'm good. I'm like, I'm like a little buzzed, but you know, I'm fine. And then you go into the bathroom and you're just like alone for the first time in a few hours. And you're like, Oh my God. I feel like that's the same energy as being like the ruler of Greece must be very strong. And then immediately dying. <laughs> that That's you're not wrong. Um, so okay, sorry, go ahead. In this aftermath, um, you've got, a couple of uh, big sort of successor states that pop up as Alexander's generals each start fighting each other to see who can get what bit of the pie. Um, we love each, we love an ancient dick measuring contest. You, you got it. <laughs> uh, in Egypt, you get uh, the Ptolemaic dynasty that pops up under Ptolemy. Um, You've got the uh, Seleucid Empire that pops up controlling a large portion of Mesopotamia and uh, ancient Persia. You've got uh, Cassander, who owns a lot of classical Greece at this point, and Thrace. Um, Lysimachus, who controls a lot of Anatolia. And you've got all these different powers who suddenly are ruling over um this massive empire uh, and they're slowly trying to not only fight against other Greek states, but they're also trying to consolidate control. And so in doing that, they wind up taking a lot of different approaches to that. And 
assimilating a lot of smaller things into this sort of now broader Greek identity. Um, in the Far East, you've got places like the Bactrian Kingdom, um, which there's Hellenic Buddhism, which is a thing that pops up. Um, hmm. And in ancient Egypt, you've got uh, this sort of deification of Alexander and sort of this christening of him as a pharaoh um, to the point where the Ptolemies even sort of stage a state funeral for Alexander after he had died and off topic, but the list of things that happened to Alexander's body after he died is incredibly interesting and oh. everyone just wanted to play capture the corpse for about 20 years. Oh my God. Um, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so you've got, so Wait, yeah. Wait I, I need to process this for a second because they're literally passing this like actual literal corpse around for 20 years not not passing it around they're all trying to capture it because there's this belief that if you control the body of alexander you can control his legacy and you'll be the one to sort of inherit this kingdom oh god um, okay i don't think people listening to this podcast right now realize how quickly human bodies decompose like 20 years <laughs> There is no way that it was anything more than, like, a couple of limbs here and there that, like, survived, maybe. This is insane. I would oh like gosh. to make it known you that I do not wrong. like this discussion. Okay. I um, love this discussion. This okay. is the most interesting thing we've talked about on this podcast. Hands down. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to look into this because that is just absolutely so chaotic. That's so chaotic. Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> anyway, like, now that now that Maddie's been disturbing for 30 seconds, we got to move on. <laughs> Maddie got her body talk out of the way. So now we can continue. Um <laughs> body yaddy 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 yaddy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the corpse is just dancing. <laughs> oh god Milo please dear god change the subject so, what happens next um, in this absence uh, of a sort of central Greek power because um, you've got suddenly it ultimately divide, boils down to three major Greek run kingdoms who are fighting with each other and there's this uneasy rivalry slash power balance between them where you've got macedon uh who controls most of greece you've got the seleucid empire who controls most of persia and parts of anatolia and then uh the ptolemaic egypt who controls most of egypt and parts of the levant and the Mid middle east and these three they war with each other um, and it consistently turns into a thing of if any one power starts getting the upper hand, the other two tend to gang up on it. And so you've got this sort of loose stability that's occurring. Like a um, tug of war, but between three different sources. Yes. Um, gotcha. Having said that, all of them are constantly at each other's throats and looking for any opportunity to screw over 
either of the other two. Into this mess, to the west of all this, there's this little little city-state called Rome has been expanding in the last uh, few hundred years. Um, They went from being a kingdom to a republic, and by around 300 or so, um, or two three hundred. I'm sorry. Uh, they start expanding further south. Um, they wind up conquering uh, a lot of these areas formerly under the control of these Greek colonists in southern Italy, um, and they go to war with one of the minor Diadochi kingdoms in the process, uh, and they fight this guy named Pyrrhus of Epirus. They then go to war, sort of cleaning up most of the Italian peninsula. They fight with the Carthaginians. And all the time, this time, they're slowly expanding, slowly consolidating their grip over uh, the Western Aegean. Or Mm. the Western Mediterranean. I'm sorry. Eventually, um, they get into some scraps with the Kingdom of Macedon. in the eastern Adriatic Sea, uh, which is to the west of Greece, um, circa the 200s BC, uh, mm-hmm. the Romans begin clashing with some of these Diadochi states. And eventually, over the course of a couple of decades, they end up conquering most of Greece. Um, and there's Something of a weird relationship um, Rome has with uh, the Greeks and that um, the Romans you could almost describe as like Greek fangirls in a way. Um, (laughs) They very much were eager to adopt uh, Greek culture and um, religion. They adopted the pantheon more fully into theirs. Um, So... Rome is to Greece as me in high school was to One Direction. Absolutely. <laughs> I get it. Now. Um, I love how enthusiastic your absolutely was, Milo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. Hundred <laughs> percent. So Rome we got, doodled about Greece in their chemistry notebook. They absolutely did. Um, Fame. <laughs> Um, to the point where upper-class Romans primarily spoke in Greek. Um, it was seen as the more cultured language, the more, um, like, wealthy Romans would buy Greek slaves to be tutors for uh, their kids. Yikes. Um, That's so fucked oh. up. Uh, yeah, by the way, um, Greece and Rome, both horrible civilizations, so... Uh, As a sneak preview to uh, the part where we relate this to young adult novels, uh, horrible choices to base anything off of. Um, (laughs) Oh, we'll talk about that because that's important. Yeah, that's the meat uh, of this. Yeah, so then you've got uh, Rome as a republic expands out for um, a couple of centuries. You have its decline um, with... Ultimately, it's being sort of reinvented into an empire under um, after the wars or the Roman civil wars with 
Augustus taking over and then his line following through um, before eventually you get to sort of the early Christianization and mass of the Mediterranean world around the three, four hundreds up until when uh, Constantine declares Christianity a legal religion, at which point you then have the Hellenic faith pretty rapidly start to lose influence um, throughout everywhere where it had spread to. Um, There were holdouts, but um, and some of them lasted fairly long, particularly in some of the more mountainous regions in Greece. But mm. by, say, 1000 AD, the last of any real sort of practic- practicing of uh, a classical uh, Greek-styled religion was gone. Mm. Gotcha. Well, all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so now is is now the bit where we get into Percy Jackson? Yes, this is. Okay. Uh, history lesson Hell over. Yeah. So anyone, you want to time stamp this to let people know it's safe to come out now. Yeah. <laughs> Very um, good. Yeah, that was really interesting. I also, I have a problem. All right. I kind of struggle with putting things in context a lot. Like, I can think of Greece, and I can think of Rome, and I can think of Egypt, but it's really hard for me to put it on a timeline, per se. Um, So having that kind of start to finish in context with all the parts kind of interacting was really interesting. I really like that. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm happy to help. It's like you're a history major or something. I I do want to point (laughs) that as a gross oversimplification of something who is not qualified to be even trying to simplify them. Yeah, I think if someone was looking for a very historically accurate, cited, um, very professional summary of the Greek and Roman empires, they would not be on Fatal Flaw, a Percy Jackson podcast. (laughs) I would hope so, but I feel it's important to put this disclaimer We will not help you pass your history test. You are on your own. That's Um, Hank Green's job. Not. I was just about to say that's what Crash Course is for. (laughs) (laughs) We're Um, not going to talk about Hank Green's history courses right now because that's a different (laughs) subject for a different podcast. Hank Hank doesn't even do the history aspect of it, guys. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Crash Course history. I am not the biggest fan of. Really? Not Ooh. Yeah. Uh, for the same reason, I don't think you should use this as an example of teaching or practicing for history. <laughs> I would also not advise any <laughs> sort of anchoring. Milo used Milo history. used Crash Course to study for his AP history classes and got threes on it, and so he's bitter. Uh, <laughs> that's the context that we need from this yeah. okay <laughs> um so as a general question we yes. we kind of know about camp jupiter and uh camp half-blood in mm. general do you think that it pretty accurately portrays the difference between the greek and roman empires vibe wise like can you do a quick <laughs> vibe check for us um that's really sort of hard to do. Um, I'd say it's a bit better with Camp Jupiter in that mm. 
unlike with uh, the Greeks, with Rome, there is sort of a central civilization point where it's like, this is a pretty good summary of the culture we're trying to emulate. Um, and it's a decent enough reflection of some sort of late Roman Republican values sort of wrapped around in this young adult setting. Um, with Camp Half-Blood and with uh, the Greeks, it is harder um, because the Greece world didn't really have a central sort of uh, major civilization point. And hmm. Rome is its own distinct entity. It started as a city-state, and the heart of Rome, um, for most of what we consider the Roman Empire, was Rome itself. It would eventually shift... Uh, to the north of Italy, and then ultimately uh, to the east, to the city of Constantinople, now Istanbul. Um, <laughs> Wait, is uh, it Istanbul or It is Istanbul, not Constantinople. There's uh, a there's song a about it, young, Molly. There so is. In Istanbul, not, not Constantinople. Con no. Oh, my God. In Istanbul, not Constantinople. Correct. Okay. So, um, but yeah, you've got that sort of... Maddie's ready to fire me. <laughs> I was just like, I was so wrapped up in what Milo was saying. Was like, and then you come in with this bullshit like, oh, is it Istanbul? And I'm like, if there's a fucking song about it, like, I know that's what you're trying, you're trying to be cute and like, oh, <laughs> it was, no, I was interested. I was invested. The problem that the, the problem with your this logic is... here is that I am cute. Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, forget the flirting. This is the episode where we see the lovers quarrel. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, apparently, <laughs> the ship is over. All of our fans will be so disappointed. All twelve oh people listening right now. <laughs> okay, so Milo, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were talking oh, about yeah. the vibe check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, with Greece, you never really have that sort of one central location where all of it's being based out of. Um, you've got these multiple major centers in uh, Corinth, in Athens, in Sparta, where we see, like, these major uh, sort of regional identi identities being adopted and... Um, sort of surrounding and influencing everything else but uh unlike rome you don't have it's more spread out and they're very different interpretations um and for the record uh camp half-blood is nowhere near dystopian enough to represent any of them uh, <laughs> i almost feel like it's perfect then because you've got uh, Camp Jupiter, which has, like, New Rome, very, like, distinct, this is what it is, it's based after Rome, it looks like it, everyone lives like they're in Rome, etc., etc., and then you've got Camp Half-Blood, which is kind of like, like, chill vibes, no one really knows what's going on, um, <laughs> they're making friendship bracelets, uh, Underwater basket weaving. Yeah, they've got, like, you know, they go to war every so often. They play capture the flag. It's fun. But it's, overall, it's like, 
we're we're kind of doing our own thing. That's kind of what the Greeks were doing, you know, like they're doing their own thing. Everybody's got their little like friend groups, which could be like different <laughs> sections of the Greek empire. I don't know. It's decentralized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is, however, a lot historically. Oh, so much worse. And like when we, <laughs> there, I do want to point out there is no sort of Greek empire. Um, the closest you get is the brief point in time where Alexander has most of the known world sort of under his thumb. And that lasts for about 10, 15 years max. Um, so the age, uh, the age expectancy of a demigod is how long the Greek yeah. empire was. Uh, you could have been born and died horrifically on a quest in the time it took for Alexander to ruin the world. Um, <laughs> Oh my god. Um, um, so would you say, I feel like when you think of Camp Jupiter, especially in the context of how it's different from Camp Half-Blood, the first word that comes to mind is militaristic. Um, would you say that that's true, that, that Rome was m- more militaristic than Greece? Um, yes, but I'd say it's Rome was differently militaristic hmm. than Greece. Um, I mean, the Greeks fought a lot, um, and God knows there's too many people who would love to go on and on about, uh, oh, Spartan militarism sort of things hmm. all day long. Um, but for what it's worth, compared to pretty much every other ancient civilization, uh, Rome was sort of built differently in a military sense in terms of mm. like how they viewed societies and how they fought wars. Um, and the most famous example that comes to mind is when Hannibal came through Italy and fought the Romans. He absolutely obliterated the Romans three separate times in massive battles at one point killing 80, 90,000 Romans in a single battle, wiping out two full armies and Rome still fought on and eventually won that war. And sure. that's just something that most ancient civilizations or empires were not cut out to do, would not do. Uh, so Rome certainly had that militarism to it. Um, part of it comes from that uh, early Republican idea where it was it was citizens as soldiers. Um, and in most for most of... Uh, ancient history you have levies that are drafted during times of war um if hey the king is going into battle he's going to go through all the villages get all the men together everyone grabs their spear and their shield and they all follow off um Hmm. and there'd be some expectation of knowing how to fight um but it's usually okay. Also, the war's over. Go back to your farms. Make sure mm. the harvest is ready. Um, you see this a little bit with uh, with Macedon under Alexander's father, in particular uh, Philip II, where you've got sort of the start of like a standing army. Um, 
Maddie is crafting a Prince Philip joke in her head right now. (laughs) (laughs) Molly knows me too well. (laughs) I see the gears turning. Spoiler alert. This episode airs after the death of Prince Philip. Good, good fucking riddance. Anyways. <laughs> so with Rome, you've got this sort of standing citizen army that sort of slowly pops up um, with this idea of eventually, after a couple of centuries of reform, specifically the Marian reforms, you've got the Legion as an idea that's referenced a fair amount in the books. So um, much. Yeah. Uh, and that, And that was something that had been touched on at other places, other points in history, but Rome is really the place where it sort of gets perfected into like, okay, we're going to have a standing army. These are troops who, this is all they do, is we pay them to go out, they fight 20-something years, and then when they come back, we'll give them a farm or something out in some conquered lands as payment. Hmm. Um, and so that's where sort of you get this new level of... Uh, I guess, fighting ability and militarism that you don't see with some of the earlier Greek states. Mm. Um, And to the extent that you see it with Sparta, uh, that ignores the fact that there were, that was really only the Spartan ability who were ever going out and fighting like that. And most of Sparta was uh, being run by uh, a massive slave uh, who was treated horribly. Um, mm. Back to the Camp Half-Blood is way too clean and not nearly as dystopian as it should be if you want to represent <laughs> groups. Right. So I also wonder, you talked a little bit about the religion, the Hellenic yes. pantheon. Um, mm-hmm. Would you say that it's kind of, I don't want to use the word accurate because I know it's, I mean, it's a fun adaptation it's a fun interpretation of it in um in percy jackson but would you say that it's accurate to have the roman and greek gods be presented the way they are in percy jackson kind of two sides of the same coin diet coke versus diet pepsi somewhat um and like obviously you had uh Rome, which sort of basically copy and pasted for a large part uh, the Greek pantheon into theirs. Um, And that's also something Rome then took and did with everywhere else they went um, as sort of a level of syncretism where they would, hey, we've conquered you, but rather than try to teach you our religion, let's tell you how your religion was actually our religion. Mm. So, like, when they conquered, when Egypt got conquered, um, initially by the Greeks and then later by Rome, um, there was a lot of comparison between Egyptian gods and then, okay, let's take these gods, put match them to a corresponding Greek god with a similar role in the pantheon, align it that way. That way, we're not teaching you a new faith. We're just recontextualizing how you've been practicing your religion mm. as a way of conquest and incorporation of these foreign peoples easier huh well that Uh, sucks (laughs) i I mean 
compared to the al- ancient alternative, it wasn't the worst thing. Um, That's true. Yeah, they yeah. could have like murdered everyone and put in their own people and were like, this is it. This is the city now. The, Which it, I feel like is Which a very United happen. States thing I don't to do. Say that was that also <laughs> did occur several places at several yeah. different times. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the ancient world was awful. Um, I mean, the world right work. now is awful. You know, like every everybody's awful. You have got this um, this form of syncretism, and like this has, in a way. It has long roots and the fact that, like, the Greeks imported at least a good number of their gods from other religions. Like, um, Aphrodite is believed to have been an quote-unquote import god um, brought over from Mesopotamia or from Phoenicia along with the writing system. The first mentions of Aphrodite come along the first time you've got this new writing system introduced. She's not in this older, um, any of these older records, but suddenly she does appear. Um, and you've got gods getting recontextualized with um, new waves of immigrants into the Greek mainland uh, with the Proto-Indo-Europeans come and merge uh, with these Mycenaean Greeks and suddenly You've got Poseidon getting shifted down from king of the gods to just another god, and Zeus as the sky father figure being elevated higher up. And so this sort of thing is a lot more common um, in the ancient world. Um, And for people who are infinitely more qualified to talk about this than I am, um, I would highly recommend uh, the very informative and delightfully entertaining overly sarcastic productions on YouTube who have a very long series of videos on both ancient Greece, Rome, and uh, ancient uh, Greek pantheon. And all are very fun and insightful. But uh, I wish you would have told me about those YouTube videos before we recorded this episode. So I, I, could have... say, I, I purposely <laughs> thought about it and it's like, if I tell them about that, they don't need to have me on the podcast. That's true. I can't reveal where I'm getting all my material. (laughs) Dang. I thought it was Um, your tens of thousands of dollars that you invested in your education, but I guess it was just YouTube videos. I 90% of my education has come from uh, strategy games and YouTube videos. Uh, okay, I I have a question. Um, yes, in relation to Percy Jackson. So, um, yes. we have I think we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast, but I don't think we've talked about it that much about like the organization of how like where people sleep. And I know that sounds like a really weird question, but I think it's really important no. to talk about because um, at Camp Half Blood. All of the cabins are based on your godly parent. And if you don't know who your godly parent is, you get stuck in the Hermes cabin. And there are cabins that don't have anyone that stays in them, which that's a whole other conversation. We'll talk about that when we talk about probably capitalism. Um, But but at Camp Jupiter, they um, how they organize it is by legion. So they've got 
different legions in their full legion. There's is another it, word the whole, for it. I think yeah. it's cohort. Cohort. Okay. Because you've got the legion and then each of the legions has a cohort. Uh, or like the legion has different cohorts. I don't even know what it, I'm saying. Cohort is the smaller. Yeah. And so that's how they split you up. And they don't necessarily have like a system for like who gets put in what. It's just like a cohort has to sponsor you. So they have to be like, oh, yeah, I'll take them in. And mm. they kind of split it up by like, it's almost like a weird popularity contest because if you're not wanted by any cohort, then cohort five takes you, which is where, uh, which is where Jason and Percy end up, which is a little weird to me. Um, yeah. Cause they're you like, have the, you gotta have the underdog Legion though, which is why we stacked it with the two most powerful main protagonists in the whole series. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> none of it makes sense. Um, but that's how they're kind of organized. How does that relate to like military styles in, or maybe not even necessarily military styles, just like the Greek and Roman empires, like how, I don't know. I don't really know how, what it would compare to um, in there. Well, I mean, with, with Rome, that is sort of a very rough approximation of what their military was in the late Republic, early Imperial era was structured as it was you had these um you had legions um split into different cohorts of infantry with then supplemental uh auxiliary forces who would help out in other ways um and a legion was effectively designed to at its smallest be its own small standing army capable of serving on its own and then with the cabin system that is in some ways more similar i'd argue to how the greeks had very city states raising armies as they could when they needed to um and it was a lot more divided whereas at least by the time of the late roman republic when you have this uh cohort and legion system introduced they're pulling Primarily Romans, but also all Italians, and then later it's all Roman citizens, which encompasses people living outside of Italy. Um, okay, I, I think another thing I want to talk about um, is how with Camp Jupiter, in order to even show up there, you have to be raised by wolves how common was it for Roman citizens to be raised by wolves? This is actually what they won't teach you in history class, is that every Roman citizen was required to have two pet wolves um, and that they would give all of their kids over to at a young age. Um, okay. And uh, that's why uh, ancient Roman children had a survival rate of about one in 30 um, it was because they were always getting eaten by pet wolves. I thought it was the lead in the pipes that did that, but uh, that, uh, very that's, informative. That's what, killed, that's what killed the adults. Most of the kids didn't make it that long. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I never uh, knew that. Wow. Yeah. The more you know. No wonder they didn't want us to know about this. <laughs> they didn't. Uh, it's the secret the secret to how to handle disobedient children is just also have pet wolves. 
this podcast would be ten times better if Molly was made to live be raised by wolves. <laughs> are you are you advocating for killing your co-host? I am revolted. <laughs> I dedicate my entire life to fatal flaw. And this oh is the thanks my I god. <laughs> your entire life, yes. Oh my god. Um, speaking of my entire life being devoted to Fatal Flaw, I think I gotta get going. <laughs> um, however, wait, okay, I think, I think we should end the episode with which camp do you would you want to live at, Milo? Uh, Answer Melanie was wrong. I don't have a signed copy by Rick Riordan. I met him. <laughs> wasn't able to get my copy signed. I have a co- signed copy by Adam Potts, who gave me a copy <laughs> after he destroyed my copy of The Lightning Thief. <gasps> he what? got me a replacement copy at, in, like, 7th, 8th grade, and Melanie just assumed that, oh, it's a signed copy of Percy and Jackson. That must be a Rick Riordan signature. She never read it's, hey, sorry I got your book ruined, Adam Potts. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> We just skated over the fact that you met Rick Riordan. I did. I did. He was at a book signing. And Why'd I you say was to him? not able to get a signed book. What did you I say to him? Uh, well, I was in eighth grade, so I mostly mumbled about, I really like your books. And he said, thanks. I liked <laughs> writing them. <laughs> I love it. I love oh it. Okay. okay, Maddie, what was your question? Okay. Milo? Um, I was just going to ask, uh, what camp would you, would you rather live at? Like, or, I mean, like, are you, because there's like that online discourse, like, are you Camp Jupiter? Are you Camp Half-Blood? So uh, which one are you? Um, so I still stand of the opinion that uh, Camp Half-Blood would be the more dystopian hellhole of the two. Um, And I would rather live in Camp Jupiter. However, uh, given the complete uh, mess of a life I've lived thus far, I feel like I'd be more appropriate within Camp Half-Blood. I'm much more likely to uh, just be a problem and uh, slumming with uh, my old man, uh, Mr. D, uh, drinking Diet Cokes, Hell in yeah. the big house than, uh, you know, actually doing anything helpful uh, in Camp Jupiter. Hell yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right, Milo. Thank you so much for, for coming on. We really appreciate thank, it. Thank you for having me. I am happy to set the bar so low uh, <laughs> for all future guests. Do you, do you have anything you want to plug while you're here? Um. Uh, let's see. I am very poor and have no money, so if anyone's looking to hire for anything... No, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> All I, right, I love- well... <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Milo. It was so fun. Um, I'm gonna peace out, but thank you for being on here, and Maddie, thank you for the work of organizing this entire episode. <laughs> All right, thanks. for listening.
listening to Fatal Flaw. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal Flaw PJO. Music by David Thal from the band Glass Bandit. You can find them on social media at Glass Bandit Music.